0: All right, before we start this morning, I just want to uh, give you a heads up. In the back are bulletins, and in the back are the sermon notes. Uh, Normally, I leave either a big blank space or um, some fill-in-the-blanks, but what I've done this morning is you are getting the ending of the sermon uh, from George Whitfield and his introspection into prayer. And I've put this all on there because these are wonderful questions to ask It'll be on the screen, but it's so much. I know that if you wanted to write it down, it'd be difficult to write down. I've put some here on the front row if you'd like one, or they're in the back as well. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to just be in verse 13 today. We've been doing a slow walkthrough of the Lord's Prayer. And this portion of the prayer says this And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's certain news that we can hear that when we hear it, it shatters all categories for what we have. It, It crashes everything that we knew. It reminds me of when I was a child and I first realized that my father was not invincible, that my father didn't know everything, that he couldn't do anything, I mean, all things. There are still things today that I'll go ask him to do and he tells me that he can't do it. I'm still surprised because my dad's like a jack of all trades. He knows how to do everything. But when I see my father in his weakness, it surprises me as a child that shocks you. It shocks your categories. I remember being a child and seeing my mom cry for the first time. She had come back from a really tough school board meeting and she walked into the door. She had tears in her eyes and she just hugged my dad and I did not know what to do. I didn't know how to handle that. My mom was a strong person, is a strong person in my life, but seeing her cry broke categories for me. Maybe it's something that you've been confronted with, a long-held belief that you've just known was the truth, but then someone's challenged you on it. It's made you consider a different perspective, and then you're not so sure anymore. You don't know how to handle these categories. You don't know how to process that. Maybe it's been the church. Maybe you were in church for a long time, and then... People do things that people do, and sin enters in, and it's destructive. And you don't have any categories for how to process it when good people aren't good. How do we handle that? I think the last collective shock that we all had to our system was COVID. I remember sitting in the school office over there, and uh, I just heard about it. I didn't really know much going on, and then our principal tells me, "I think we're going to have to shut down school. I think they're shutting down schools next week." I had no. Category for a nationwide shutdown. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this is a hard verse, isn't it? He says, lead us not into temptation. A firsthand reading of this implies that God could lead us to temptation, that God is a part of this temptation for us. This can crash some categories for us. And so as you read that, if you've ever been hit with the abruptness of that passage, I just want us to pause and reflect to let Scripture interpret Scripture for us to know how we should handle this, because this is not what Jesus is saying. Just start there. Jesus is not telling us that God is the author of our temptation or that God is tempting us. Have you ever been driving down the road and um, it starts to rain, but there's also sun shining And the steam comes up off the road, it produces this really intense glare. Have you ever been a part of that? Where it's blinding, it's really hard to see. This verse can produce a really intense glare that it is hard for us to navigate to know what to do with it. But what we need to do is let Scripture interpret how we see this verse first. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to flip over to James uh, chapter 1 with this question. Uh, Does God tempt us? Is God tempting me now? You might be in a season of life where everything is difficult. So you might feel like uh, that you're being enticed to sin or enticed to just give up. These are natural questions to ask. But listen to the words of Jesus' brother. He says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So, Does God tempt? No. He continues, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We live in a world where we are tempted every day, whether we're led to temptation or not. I mean, consider it. We are tempted to anger when someone wrongs us. We are tempted to seek revenge when someone hurts us. We are tempted to talk about people in an ungracious manner. We're tempted to make ourselves look better than what we are. I'm tempted nightly when my children come out of bed for the third time. I just want to immediately spank them and send them back. Always, it's, I got to go potty. I got to get another drink of water. They're always looking for an excuse, and it's tempting to lash out in anger. We are tempted to lust. We're tempted to be discontent. We're tempted to withhold grace. We're tempted to diminish people's problems. We're tempted to make it us versus them. However, let me say this, temptation itself is not the sin. James says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. That's a very vivid image, isn't it? Temptation, if you are feeling tempted to despair, if you're feeling tempted to be angry at God, if you're feeling tempted in your life, know that you are not just in a continuous state of sin being tempted. If you were, that would make Jesus a sinner. Listen to Hebrews where it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is, Endured temptation. He did not give in to his desire. He walked faithfully, trusting the Lord. So then it brings us back to this. James is telling us that God does not tempt us. He's not enticing you to sin. He tempts no one. God is not tempting you. God has not given you a sickness to tempt you. He's not presenting you with problems in your marriage to tempt you. God does not make difficult people to tempt you. James tells us that God tempts no one because he can't be tempted with evil. In other words, God is not the bully trying to press your buttons to get a reaction. He's not sitting up in heaven trying to make you explode. He's not trying to pull a prank on you to expose you to humiliation. God is not tempting you to fail. He's calling you to himself. My friend group in high school, uh, we were a close tie between just this brotherly bond and affection, but then also... On the same hand, pushing and pranks like to the extreme, like just a little too far. Me and my friend Nick, uh, it was me, Nick, and Wes. We were like the three amigos. Uh, One day, Nick was over at my house one morning, and for whatever reason, we decided to build this ladder up this pine tree over the pond, just high enough to see if we could convince Wes to jump off of it. We were just trying to tempt him to do it. Like we just tested the pond like with a paddle. We didn't really know how safe it was, but we thought, how high can we make this and convince Wes to jump off of it? When we go camping, we'd put bottle, uh, not bottle rockets, but we put black cats in our pocket. So when no one was looking, we'd just quietly throw it in the fire and then walk off and then let it explode and chaos would ensue. Everybody would freak out and run. We were tempting each other. We were testing each other. We were trying to get a rise out of each other. Hear me, God is not like that. God's way better than me and my friend group. God is for us. He's not tempting you. He's not enticing you to sin. He's not enticing you to doubt him. And this is consistent with the rest of Scripture. God does not tempt Adam and Eve. God does not tempt Cain to kill Abel. God does not tempt David with Bathsheba or tempt David to kill Uriah. And God is not tempting Jesus. But still, this portion of the Lord's prayer is difficult for us to understand because if God doesn't do this, why do we have to ask God not to do this? If God doesn't do this, why do we have to ask, lead us not into temptation? But we need to see, what's the main thrust of this prayer? Notice, it's not that temptations simply cease. Because for temptations to simply cease, that's not all that we need. You see, there's something greater that this prayer is getting at. It's deliverance from evil or deliverance from the evil one. For forgiveness to be given and received, for God's kingdom to come in and it be on earth as it is in heaven. If you'll notice up until this point, every line in the Lord's prayer is an imperative. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our transgressions. However, when we reach this portion of the prayer, the tenses change. Now, this is where I lose words to say because I don't know Greek. I'm not that smart, but smart men do. And I have uh, Daniel Wallace's Greek textbook where he helps us to see this change. He says this, Matthew 6.13 is not at all suggesting that God is the source of temptation, but it is a general plea of God, please don't do this, but do this. Or in other words, God, don't let me make a mess of everything. Or help me not to be overcome by my temptation. Or as one of my favorite musicians, John Foreman, from the band Switchfoot, he puts it in one of his songs like this, Lord, save me from myself. We need no help being tempted. And to recognize this, we need to see that there is evil outside. There is evil around but there's also sin within. We are enticed by our own temptation, by our own desire. And this is an important question to ask, and I can't answer it for you, but as soon as I ask it, I'd be willing to bet something will come to mind. Where are you prone to temptation? What's hard for you to resist? What has the power to overtake you? Is it bitterness Anger? Despair? Is it Sexual temptation? Where are you prone to mistake God's faithfulness for your providence or your ability or your statue? Let me say that again. Where are you prone to mistake where God's been faithful in your life as your own providence or your own ability? It seems Paul is making a connection for us from the Lord's Prayer to this passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul is warning the church, the Corinthian church, to be careful of temptation. And their temptation is this becoming prideful, to be careful to think that they have it all together. The temptation for them is to be acting in unbelief or just simple non belief. How many of you have ever thought in a difficult season of life? And if I just had Jesus here right now, if I could talk to Jesus face-to-face, then I'd believe. If He could just show me where to go or what to do, if I could have a visual sign, if I could see a miracle, then I would believe. Here's what Paul is telling the church in Corinthians. He recounts the story of Israel. He says, They all passed through baptism by Moses through the Red Sea. They all saw the pillar of fire leading them. They all ate bread from heaven. They all drank from the rock that was Christ. And even after seeing and experiencing all of this, they still set their hearts on evil things. They saw it all. And they still had idolatry. They still made false idols. They still committed sexual immorality. Listen to Paul. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The prayer, lead us not into temptation, is as much remind me of your faithfulness. Show me that you're delivering me. Deliver me from this temptation. Where can you look back? and see God's faithfulness to you in your life. You may have had the systems shot. Church may have been difficult. People may be difficult. Your marriage might be hard. And it's easy for us to hyperfocus in on these things. But the call for us is to look at God's faithfulness through the years. I think I've shared the story before, uh, but you can't stop me because I'm, I'm preaching and it'd be rude, I guess. So I'm going to share it to you again. Uh, when Jessica and I first started dating... Uh, it was not like smooth sailing. I was really into her, she, not so much. Uh, I pursued her and she would just kind of like push me off. If you ever talk to Daisy or try to talk to Daisy, Daisy is just like a brick wall. That was like me with Jessica. I was trying to impress her, just wasn't happening. Daisy comes by it honestly. No, but really uh, Jessica and I, we just had this on and off kind of relationship. And um, there was a mutual friend uh, from China that had come into town and I'd run into Jessica, and she said, we need to get together and hang out and talk about Michael. And I was like, yeah, right. like, you don't want to, we, we don't want to do this. But then a week or so goes by, she texts me and says, hey, let's get together. Um, let's catch up and talk about Michael, how the trip was. And so me, just being who I am, was like, all right, I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. And she said, okay. And so immediately, like, I'm fired up. I'm excited. Like, I'm ready to go out the door, and before I do... Uh, whatever, the the spirit comes over me, I guess, I stop and I turn off the lights and I lay on the ground and I pray. And I'm not telling you this story to make it seem like I'm like way holy, like I always turn off the lights and lay down every time I go to pray. And that's not what I'm saying. But in that moment, for whatever reason I did, and my prayer was this, Lord, you know how easy my heart can just jump right back into this and how be swept up by it and how I'll lose sight of everything else, but I'll just go full board onto this. So, Father, if this is your will, let it be made known. But if it's not, just please move my heart elsewhere. So I go pick her up. Uh, We spend literally probably just two hours just driving around, catching up and talking. And at one point uh, during the night, she did not do anything wrong within our our courting back and forth. But she apologized for just the on-again, off-again nature, feeling like that maybe... She led me on, but she didn't. I was just very much in pursuit of her. And I said, you don't need to apologize. I said, in fact, let me tell you what I prayed before I came. I said, I I prayed asking the Lord for my heart not to be swept into this, and um, if it's his will, for anything to come of this, to just let it be known. You know what she said? She said, that's crazy. I prayed the exact same thing. Now, you know what I don't think about when Jessica and I are in the middle of an argument? I don't tend to go back to that story. But you know what's good for me to do? Is to remind myself of the Lord's faithfulness even in our relationship. And how I can see the Lord's hand guiding us through. There's times where I can get in the past when I've gotten bitter about, um, like when I was working in insurance. I just get bitter that I was working in insurance and that wasn't in something in the golf field and that. Uh, golf didn't end up going my way. But if I look back on it, I see how, even though it's not my profession now, how the Lord even used that to be faithful, to bring me to Louisiana College, to meet my wife, to make some of the best friends of my life, and really to save me from myself. There was a moment at school when my sister lost her first child and I questioned everything. I questioned if I was going to even continue to follow Jesus, if He was even good. But you know what He did? He placed me at LC with professors and people that loved Him, loved His Word, and showed me the beauty of Scripture in Jesus. He's been faithful to me. If we look back at the life of our church, and how the Lord been faithful to us? Like there was a moment... Um, at one point, after uh, the big church split a few years ago, when I was sitting right here, I was leading worship. Looked around, I was like, "20 people here." and I thought, "I know how much it costs to run this place. I know the school." I was like, "I don't know how this is going to work, man." Hasn't the Lord been faithful to us here still? I shared the story years ago. Another Alpine church split, where. Everyone left the church but four women. And you know what they did every Sunday? They were faithful to come to church and unlock the doors. They prayed together and read Scripture together every Sunday. Because of their faithfulness, the church is still here. Now, we can look back on the history of the church and see the Lord has been faithful to us. But you know what is difficult? Is that within our lives, we're tempted to listen to the whispers of the evil one. Where he says, has the Lord really done this for you in your life? Is the Lord really good? Would your marriage be going this way? Shouldn't church be easier? Shouldn't you feel better about things? He whispers these things. He makes us bitter. He might look at your job and say, ah, I don't know if the Lord wants you there. He might look at your finances and say, ah, if the Lord was really blessing you, you'd have more. what are the whispers of the enemy that he's telling you this morning? Paul is warning us that we can become so self-absorbed to say that I'm standing firm, I know the truth, I'm strong, I have it all together, and then the whispers of the enemy come and they sweep us away into temptation. They sweep us away into despair. The prayer, lead us not into temptation, is this, let me not be overcome by my temptation lord save me from myself and if you remember back with me the very first sermon of the lord's prayer we just looked at the opening our father and we made this observation the opening of the prayer our father is both the beginning and the goal of our prayer it's the beginning and the goal meaning we come to the lord as our father but we come to him in prayer is because we want him we want to know him And this is the end of the prayer. Deliver us from evil. Come, Lord Jesus, make it on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer. And this is the added layer of beauty to this passage, is this ending. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because deep within it is not just this hope of deliverance, but it's still, it's Jesus is pointing to himself in this. And it's so incredible. Let me, let me just show you how he does this. The Greek word here um, for lead us not into temptation is perismos. And I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but I know that's the Greek word for it. But the range of meaning for this word is testing, trial, and temptation. And what's interesting is that it can mean temptation. This Greek word can mean temptation. But rarely, if ever before, the New Testament did this word mean temptation in the sense of enticement, whether from inward lust or outward circumstances, but rather it meant testing. So another reading of this passage, and a few Bibles have it translated this way, would be, lead me not into the testing. And again, this would be understood as, lead me not into the testing that would overtake me, but even this has deep biblical roots. Let me show you how... The overarching story of the Bible points to testing. Let's just look at a few uh, biblical narratives here. Adam and Eve. What was their test? It's to not eat of the tree of good and evil. Yes, but it's it's deeper than that. What the tree of knowledge of good and evil did was it gave immediate access uh, to what God was giving proportionally, or uh, rather the promise attached to eat from the tree was death. So Adam and Eve could go to this tree for the knowledge of good and evil, and they could take wisdom on their own hands. Or they could live a life walking with the Father, trusting the Father, trusting the Lord, and He trains and raises them up. He raises them in the instruction. What's the test? The test is to trust God. The test is not just don't eat from that. That's not the test. The test is to trust God, to wait on the Lord. Abraham and Sarah, what's their test? That even in their old age, God was going to deliver his promise to provide a son for them. But what do they do? Much like Adam and Eve, they take wisdom on their own terms. They say, we're old. This is probably not happening. I don't know where God is in this moment. Why don't you take my servant Hagar? They fail the test They live in their own wisdom by their own terms. Another test that they have is God just gets done telling him, Abram, that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And if you read that passage, you'll notice the immediately following story is some people approach him and Abram's scared because they think that he's going to murder him to take his wife. But what does God say? I'm going to bless those who bless you. But what does he do? He says, tell them that you're my sister. He doesn't trust God. Take Israel. Do they pass or fail the test in the wandering in the wilderness? And look at how this prayer connects us here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2. It says this, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Why do I discipline my son, Russell? Is it not because I love him deeply? Is it not because I care for him with all of my being? But then this asks the question, who can pass the test? The psalmist says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. He that has not lifted up his soul into vanity or swarm deceitfully. When we read this passage, lead us not into temptation, or lead us not into the test that overtakes us. We should be immediately reminded of whose story? It's Jesus. Right before all of this in chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. And what does he do? He passes the test. He waits on the Lord. He listens for him. Jesus comes saying he's not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, both in letter and intent. Adam and Eve, they fail the test by the tree that leaves them naked and exposed. Adam and Eve, they fail the test by the tree that leaves them naked and exposed. Now see Jesus led to the cross naked and exposed to hang on the tree. It's the great reversal. Jesus passes the test. Listen to Peter in Acts 5. He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. How are we delivered? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So then Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Where Adam and Eve failed at the tree, Jesus hangs on it. He passes the test. See the beauty of Scripture and how it's connected. No other world religion leader, or person, has claimed authority to save you from your temptation and sin. They have given you ways to do it, though. They have told you, try harder, do better. All you need to do is within yourself, define yourself, and you will be truly delivered. We pray to the Father, though, deliver us. And He has, He is, and He will in Jesus. We still pray, deliver us, because he has delivered us from the penalty of temptation or the penalty of sin in Jesus. He is delivering us from the power of sin in Jesus, sanctification. Sin no longer has the power to condemn us. And then one day, he will deliver us fully from the presence of sin in Jesus, both the presence around us and within us. And this is why we cling to this prayer, do not let me be overtaken by my temptation. Deliver me from my evil. We cling to this prayer so that we do not become prideful, lest we fall, Paul says. But the most important thing for this, for us, is not just to see this as a theological exercise where we connect these things all throughout Scripture that's good and right for us to do, But this is what our lives should be molded around, is this prayer. We started uh, the Lord's sermon with this deep dive in, uh, uh, sorry, we started this deep dive into the Lord's sermon with a story on George Whitfield, who was this great evangelist, uh, one of the leaders of the Great Awakening. And if you remember his story, uh, he replaced this fatherly affection with what he thought was the Spirit of the Lord telling him that his son was going to be a great minister like himself and even preached a sermon on it saying that my son is going to be a great minister like me. He baptized him and then four months later, what? His son died. Whitfield could be tempted to despair, to anger, but he went to repentance. And he gives us four uh, ways to self-examination. Four ways are this. A deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye. A deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye. Now, this is what's on the back of your uh, sermon notes here and what will be on the screen. But let's just read this real quickly. As we go to the Lord in prayer that we not be overtaken by our temptation, we must examine ourselves first by a deep humility. Listen to the questions that he asks. Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I felt snubbed or ignored? Then his advice consider, meditate on the free grace of Jesus until I decrease in disdain, since I am a sinner too, so why can I look down on anyone? Decrease pain over criticism, since I should not value human approval over God's love. In light of His grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It is too great a burden, and it is now unnecessary. Church, hear me. If you hadn't heard anything else, listen to this from Whitfield. In light of His grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It is too great a burden, and it is now unnecessary. Why? Because Christ gives us His He gives us His righteousness. When the Father sees us, He has all the joy and affection for His Son. He says, I reflect on free grace until I experience grateful, restful joy. A well-guided zeal. Examination, the questions. Have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? Have I been anxious and worried? Have I failed to be circumstant? Circumspect, or have I been rash or impulsive? Then he says this Consider the free grace, meditate on the free grace of Jesus until there is no cowardly avoidance of hard things since Jesus faced evil for me. No cowardly avoidance of hard things since Jesus faced evil for me. No anxious or rash behavior since Jesus' death proves that God cares and will watch over me. We don't have to be tempted to anger or speaking out of turn because God cares and will watch over me. It takes pride to be anxious, and I recognize I am not wise enough to know how my life should go. I reflect on free grace until I experience thoughtfulness and strategic boldness, a burning love. And again, church, I want you to hear this. I want me to hear this. Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by caricaturing someone else in my mind? And if that is not pointed to us today with theological debates, with political debates, what we want to do, we want to caricature the enemy to make ourselves feel better. He says, have I been impatient and irritable? Have I been self-absorbed, indifferent, and inattentive to people? He says, consider the free grace of Jesus until there is no coldness or unkindness as I think of sacrificial love of Christ for me. No impatience as I think of his patience with me. No indifference as I think of how God is infinitely attentive to me. I reflect on free grace until I feel some warmth and affection. And then lastly, a single lie. Am I doing what I do for God's glory and the good of others? Or am I being driven by fears need for approval, love of comfort and ease, need for control, hunger and acclaim, and power, or the fear of other people? Am I looking at anyone me? envy? Am I giving in to even the first motions of sexual lust or gluttony? Am I spending my time on urgent things rather than important things because of these inordinate desires?" Consider then the free grace of Jesus, consider how the free grace of Jesus provides me with what I am looking for in these other things. This prayer, let me not be overtaken by my temptation, is a prayer of humility to rest and trust in the Lord, to know that we have been delivered from the power and penalty of sin and that one day we will be delivered from the presence of sin around us and within us.